Thank you for listening to Made to Be, a podcast exploring the surprising professional paths of extraordinary women in business. I'm Kristen Berman, co-founder and CEO of Philly Made Creative, a marketing and media production agency. Listen as I facilitate powerful conversations with women who are masters of their crafts, learn about their journeys and just what it took to become who they were made to be. I, I was there a couple of years and one of my performance reviews there, it became very obvious to me that they weren't seeing me as a leader. And that was the first time in my life up to that point that I was not being seen as a leader. And I at first was very angry about it. And then I was very frustrated and then I got sad. And I was like, you know what? I have not found my voice here. I am not showing them who I am here. What is going on? Welcome back, everyone, to a new episode of Made to Be. I'm so excited to be here today with Sasha Connor. She is the CEO of Virtual Work Insider. Sasha, thank you so much for being on Made to Be today. Hi, Kristen. Thanks for having me. So can you tell us a little bit more about your company and how you are bringing your services to market? Sure, yes. What we do is we, we coach teams and executives and organizations how to work across any distance, whether that before COVID was working across different office sites, which was the, the norm, was a headquarters in one area and then satellite offices or sales offices in different parts of the same country or globe or working between offices and fully remote employees. So that distance always kind of changed that dynamic in terms of the way people need to lead, communicate, collaborate. And the, the old school leadership techniques that were being taught didn't account for that distance. And so that everything we teach actually has that twist of thinking about the distance as an impact to the leadership communication and collaboration. We are working from home, we are working across distance. What is distance bias? Or what can you explain a little bit more about that? Sure. So this is something that the Neuro Leadership Institute talks about. So they have an unconscious bias model called the SEEDS model. So it's an acronym, S-E-E-D-S. And the D in SEEDS stands for distance bias. So they've proven that it's our brain's natural tendency to put more importance on the people and things closer to us than those that are further away. So in a hybrid work environment or geographically distributed work environment, what that often shows up as is a bias toward the people who are located in the the location majority. So usually in a headquarters. So from my background, having worked for the Clorox company for many years remotely, the headquarters is in Oakland, California, and I was in Philadelphia. And so there was this distance bias that was happening in terms of the people I was working with unconsciously putting more value on the group that they were co-located with in the same office building in Oakland, 3000 miles away from me being fully remote. And it wasn't until I learned about this concept of this unconscious bias where I was like, Oh my gosh, that's what I've been feeling over all of these years. It's not that people are forgetting about me out of malice or anything like that. It is, it is an actual physiological phenomenon. When you were working from home, What was the initial transition like? So when we've talked in the past, you shared with me that at some point in your career at Clorox, you decided, you know what, I want to make that switch. I'm going to move out to Philadelphia, right? Because you were in, in the Bay Area. 
Yep. Mm -hmm. So tell us about that because this was remote work was not always a thing that companies ever even considered and probably until this year. Tell us about how you made the transition to remote work initially. Sure. So this was back in around 2010, which was when I, I moved back from San Francisco to Philadelphia. So I'm about to have my 10 year remote anniversary, if that's a thing. It is now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and what, what happened back in about in 2009 is my husband and I had our first child. And her name's Nevin, and she was born in San Francisco. And I had been working for Clorox for about six years at that point. And we spent that first year of Nevin's life spending so much time traveling back and forth from the Bay Area back to the Philly area, where my husband's family's from, too, and my family. And at the end of that year, Tim and I had a discussion around, you know, what do we want to do long term with our life? Do we want to live near the people that we love or do we want to live where the careers are that we love, which was the Bay Area? And I thought I had to make a choice at first. And I was really stressing about this choice. Do I have to find a new job? We really want to move back to Philadelphia. And then I had a bold idea, which was to ask to, if I could keep my job but moved to Philadelphia and do it from Philadelphia. And as you said, back in 2010, this was pretty unheard of in terms of the Clorox company. It was pretty unheard of within the consumer packaged goods industry. It was um, unheard of within Clorox for the type of job that I had. So I was leading large new product innovation teams at the time. But I had a good relationship with the chief marketing officer. And there was another woman around the same time who had also asked to do the same thing. She wanted to to move to San Diego. I wanted to move to Philly. We were really strong performers there. And he said, you know what? Let's, let's try this experiment. You can be guinea pigs for us and we can see how this can go. And so that, that started my remote work experience. And as you were asking about what was that like? Well, at first it felt like I sometimes had a blindfold on. Sometimes I had one hand tied behind my back. It was a very hard transition to relearn how to do everything from a distance, how to do, you know, I was a marketing director. So um, figuring out how to do gra packaging graphics reviews remotely, how to meet with advertising agencies remotely, how to present to senior leaders from a distance, because we didn't have all of the tech tools that we have now to even help grease those wheels. Now, you had also mentioned before that at the time when you were still in the Bay Area working at headquarters, you had been uh, labeled or reviewed a high potential employee and that you had mentioned if you were going to work from home, if you were going to work remote, which I guess if you can explain a little bit about hypo and high potential in this, if you were going to work remote, you needed to give that up. And what were some of the things that you were sacrificing in order to go remote? Yeah, so, so back to that um, decision by the company to let me be an experiment. I was very grateful for that. But also it came with some caveats. And the caveats were, you'll never get promoted. So actually, at the time, I think the the role that I was in was an associate marketing manager role. So it was, you'll never get promoted. You'll never get to work on certain businesses. So at the time I was working on new product innovation, but they saw that that is lower risk than actually having me work on like in market businesses. So what we call the base business. So it was like, you'll never get to work on a base business, which were the most coveted roles. 
because those those roles need to be here at headquarters. And then what you're asking about the high, high potential. So a lot of companies look at performance and potential. So what is your upward trajectory possibility within the organization based on your skills and your potential? And, and they said, well, you're going to move from a high potential employee to the low potential box, um, not because your skills have changed, just because potential is linked to promotability and promotability is linked to location. So what this identified was a, a, a kind of a bad assumption within these policies and processes that have been in place. And so when I was told all of that, I, in my head, I was like, okay, you know, I was, I was saying, you know, just get me back to Philadelphia, but I will show you, I will show you that I can overcome those things that you just threw down in front of me. And so it became this kind of competition with myself to knock down all of those barriers that um, were put out in front of me and then realizing that if I could overcome those barriers, it would, it would allow um, so much opportunity for other people, even within the company. So because you were this experiment, you and this other woman in San Diego, and having been uh, relabeled low potential, of course, the leader in you, the high potential in you is like you said, I'll show you, but also that you wanted to sort of pave the way or craft a framework for the Clorox company to continue this to, for it to be successful. So can you tell us a little bit about the virtual workforce employee resource group? Yes. So as I mentioned back in 2010, it was a pretty unheard of at Clorox to have people who were working fully remotely in the types of jobs that I had. And then this other woman, Kira, who moved to San Diego. So we, Kira and I would talk weekly about how are we going to do this, this type of project that's coming up remotely? How are we going to handle this kind of meeting? And we were sharing stories and we started to find other pockets of people in the organization that were also working fully remotely. So whether that was in sales or whether that was in product supply or, or other functions within the company. And we created at first created this informal group that would get together about monthly and just share, you know, those stories of feeling blindfolded and, and feeling like we had our hand tied behind our back and, and learn from each other. And then after about a year or so, we decided to formalize into a group under the diversity and inclusion banner. So a lot of large organizations have ERGs or employee resource groups, and usually they are created around protected classes. So a women's resource group or a, a black resource group. And we took that concept, so Kira and I took that concept and applied it to the virtual workforce. And at first, we thought we were just creating this community of fully remote employees, this small group of people, maybe it was like less than 5% of the entire company. And as we started to formalize, we started getting people reaching out to us who were actually located at company locations, office sites, and saying, can I join your group? And we said, why do you want to join our group? You know, we're talking about remote work. And then they started saying, well, even though I work at headquarters, even though I work at our large technical center, I'm working with team members who are in different office sites, whether that's 30 minutes away, whether that's across the country or the globe. And we're struggling with how to work in these teams across distance. And that's for me when light bulbs went off in terms of, wow, there's a much bigger need here. It's not about just working fully remotely. It's back to distance, which we talked about at the beginning, right? It's about that, that distance is the common denominator and where the help is needed. 
So Kira and I decided to then broaden this ERG and it became the largest and fastest growing employee resource group at Clorox. And it provided us an amazing platform to be able to influence up the chain within Clorox. So to have an audience with the senior leaders of the organization. So back to what we talked about distance bias, it became a platform for me personally to stay top of mind, to overcome some of those biases by having a, a, a role beyond my marketing position within the company. And then it became just very, very, um, gratifying to be helping the, the organization in a new way. So let's sort of back this up a little bit because remote work has really only been a thing since you sort of started it, at least at your company. And you were doing marketing while you were doing this. So you're not, you know, your full-time job wasn't at the time helping people uh, learn how to remote work or work across distance, but it was doing marketing. And how did you, how did you decide that you wanted to make that transition out of the Clorox company in the marketing department into going full-time in your own company, launching Virtual Work Insider? So I loved my marketing career. I loved my marketing roles at Clorox. I loved working for Clorox. And, and I, what I found though, is I loved even more the work that I was doing for the employee resource group. So I had been running that employee resource group for, I think close to six years, maybe. And I had gotten so much energy from doing that work because at, trained as a marketer, trained as an innovator, I'm trained to see where there's unmet needs. I'm trained to see how to find a solution, a unique solution to meet those unmet needs. And I was seeing that this was such an unmet need within the organization that we were filling within Orbit. And I was seeing that I was getting pulled externally to talk at conferences, to write articles and blogs about my experience working in this large enterprise and helping them to work across distance. And it started to come to a head um, a couple of years ago where I, I was just kind of taking stock on every day of work and saying, where, where is my energy getting sucked from me and where am I gaining energy and because I wanted to put my time toward the things that I was gaining energy in and I had for years been thinking about starting my own business but been too scared so I'm very risk-averse person I like the stability that Clorox provided but I thought you know now now is a good time my kids are a little bit older now I I could I, I feel confident in my business skills that I could go out and do this on my own. And, but even prior to making that full decision, I actually created a role description for myself at, for the Clorox company to see if they would actually let me start doing this kind of work full time within the organization. Cause as you said, I was, I was doing my marketing job, my day job. So I was the first fully remote member of the billion dollar division that oversees the home care products within Clorox. And I was also running a team that was responsible for $250 million. Then I was also doing this, this other orbit, the ERG work on the side. And I just, I just felt like I couldn't keep doing all of that at the same time. So I created this new role job description and I didn't even know what to really call it at the time. So I knew there was a need. I knew how I had a unique way to fill that need. And I think I called it something like director of corporate collaboration, something like that. And 
it got kind of up the chain within HR and they said, you know, I don't think we can make a full-time role for this, but if you do consult, you know, we would probably hire you back to do some, you know, project work based on that. And I was like, okay, well, that sounds like it's good to have a first client, you know, if, if I were to leave. Um, and then I had a, um, an old boss from Clorox actually also come to me and say, hey, like, I need your help. I have a team across four different time zones. Can you help me? And so it, it felt a little less risky to have a, a, a couple clients to step into while I was leaving my 14-year career at Clorox. You're listening to Made to Be, a podcast featuring extraordinary women in business produced by Philly Made Creative. We hope you're enjoying this episode. If you believe you or somebody you know should be featured as a guest, please email madetobe at phillymadecreative.com. That first day that you wake up after you've left your career there and started your business, what was that first day like? I had, you know, it's funny that you ask because I haven't thought about this in a while, but I remember having a little bit of an identity crisis in terms of like, who am I now? Because for 14 years, I was Sasha working at Clorox. I was a marketer for 14 years. Do I say I'm not a marketer anymore? What am I? Am I a consultant now? Am I a trainer now? Like, what, how do I introduce myself (laughs) to people now? And, And also because I love the company so much, I sometimes say I bleed blue, Clorox blue. It, it felt weird too to not have that association anymore. Um, but it also felt really nice to be the sole decision maker for once. You know, working in a really big organization, there are so many layers and so many people that you need to get input from and decision. And 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 it, oftentimes you are not the decision maker. And all the work spent trying to convince others to approve your ideas, it actually felt very uh, freeing for it to just be me instead of having all those layers. So when you were a kid, did you have any idea that you were going to wake up that day and say, who am I at this, at that stage of your life? You know, when I was a kid, I, what I wanted to be was a teacher. So both of my parents were teachers. I love school. I was a little bit of a teacher's pet. I had a blackboard that I used to use to teach my stuffed animals. And then as I grew older, I would use the blackboard to, to, for my study notes and things like that. And as I went through my own career, I couldn't wait to manage people because I saw that as teaching. So I really enjoyed that part of the role. And I I think the irony of it now is actually I'm, that's what I'm doing. I'm teaching every week. I'm teaching executives and teams how to work across distance now. It's clear that leadership has been a part of you. I'm kind of going to get into Sasha, who who she is and, and how you've discovered who she is over time. Um, it's clear that leadership has been something for you that whether you were conscious of it or not, you've you've built that into the the thread into the, you know, sort of sewn that into the fabric of your career. Did you have any formal training on that? What, like, were you in sports as a kid? How did you, how did you know what to do and how to be a leader? 
I think it's it's a, a bunch of different things that inspired that. So I think thinking back to my parents, they're very much doers. So if they saw a problem that needed to be solved, whether it was in the school district or something at school that wasn't going right, like they stepped in, they just did. They, they always stepped up. And I think that that is part of leadership is when you see there's a problem to be solved, you see there's a need to be filled. You don't look around for somebody else to do it. You just say, I, 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 even if I don't know how to solve this completely, I'll figure it out and stepping into that. And so I think as a role models, that's what I saw growing up. They were always stepping into those roles. Also, I did play sports. So I was captain of many sports teams. Um, when I went to college, I, I led the marketing club. I led, you know, groups within, within different organizations within even at the university level. So I think there was always part of me too, that liked that idea of creating something and, and creating so strategy piece of it and executing. So both, both of that and, and that part about kind of inspiring people to, to come along with me. And it wasn't really until Clorox that from a, from a, uh, a professional job situation that I got some really good leadership training. So they had an amazing training program there. And, and actually my story between college and, and Clorox, I worked in advertising. I worked at a small ad agency here in the Philly suburbs. And then I moved to a much larger agency in San Francisco. And I, I was there a couple of years and one of my performance reviews there, it became very obvious to me that they weren't seeing me as a leader. And that was the first time in my life up to that point that I was not being seen as a leader. And I at first was very angry about it. And then I was very frustrated. And then I got sad. And I was like, you know what, I have not found my voice here. I am not showing them who I am here. What is going on? And what I realized was, I don't think the cultural fit was there. I didn't feel like I could bring my full self to work. I didn't feel like I could um, speak up in the way that I always had. I had lost my voice. And I realized that I didn't think I was going to find it there. So I had two choices. Like, do I figure out how to make this work here or do I go somewhere else? And that's when I decided to go client side and to Clorox. And it was the best decision I ever made. And how, how soon after you got that review, did you decide to make that shift to the client side? I think it was within three months that I decided to start looking for, for a new role. Um, and, and one of the things too, that I had always wanted to work client side. So when I was, I was a marketing major at Lehigh university and I wanted to start in consumer packaged goods. I want, I, I had, um, applied to Procter and Gamble. So Procter and Gamble doesn't take many undergrads into their brand management program. It's usually MBAs, but I had gotten an interview and I thought that the interview went pretty well, but then they had this timed quantitative test, like data analysis test. I was fully unprepared for and totally bombed. And I was like, okay, this isn't happening here. <laughs> um, so, you know, a lot of the advice that I was getting from marketers was about start agency side, then move over client side, because it's very hard as an undergrad to get into a brand management program. 
And when I was in advertising, I, I loved it. But what I was missing was that 360 degree view of marketing, which is what I, I majored in. And I liked all the pieces of marketing, not just the advertising piece. I liked the business piece of it too. And that, that's what was missing within the advertising career. And so it just, it turned out I got, there was a good window um, opportunity. I knew somebody who worked at Clorox who knew of a job opening that was, that was um, coming up. And so just the timing was really good. And I felt like it was such a coup to get in there without having an MBA because I, I entered into kind of a class then of, just maybe like three or four other non-MBAs and then a whole bunch of MBAs. And so for me, it became another kind of underdog story of saying like, okay, how, how far can I make it in this organization without my MBA? It sounds like you keep placing yourself in these positions in life where maybe you are the underdog or people are going to tell you, you can't do this. And you're, it seems like your whole MO is I'll show you. I will do this. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and it's funny because if I hadn't really realized that theme until recently and I, I, I wore it as a badge of honor too, to have made it as far within Clorox without my MBA as I did as well. And, and then it was back to kind of having left Clorox and my identity is what is my, my what is my identity if it is not, you know, the one who made it to marketing director without an MBA at Clorox. <laughs> So how has that been the last sort of year and a half, two years that you've been building your company and not having the rules, not having the framework, having to create all of that as a business owner? How have you expressed those things in your business? It has been a lot of fun to be responsible for all parts in that, you know, back to not having to go through so many approval processes and layers it has been a little overwhelming to wear every single hat. So I am not just the trainer, not just the business owner, but also the, the business development person and the marketer and the content developer. But what I back to, I think we were talking about earlier that I like working on strategy and I like execution too. So what was fun for me was to be working on kind of what's, what's my strategy around business development? What's my strategy around the content I'm developing? And then actually as the marketer in me, and I've, I've had sales roles as well to bring that to life and actually do the execution of the mar my own marketing plans, do my own execution of my sales and business development plans. Because as you move up within a large organization, you get further and further away from executing. You're just directing. And so I was missing some of the ex the marketing execution that I used to love to do that I didn't do anymore because I had teams under me that were doing that. And, and so it's been fun to do that, but it's very hard to find all the time to do that. And so I'm starting to delegate some of that out to, as I'm, as I'm thinking about scaling up. So Sasha, how can people get in touch with you? So my website is virtualworkinsider.com. So you can go there to learn more about my services and my bios on there as well. You can follow me on LinkedIn, Sasha, S-A-C-H-A, Connor, C-O-N-N-O-R. I try to put and post lots of tips and tricks on how to work across distance. And also on Twitter, I have um, the, the handle is at virtualinsider. 
Great. I will make sure that those links are in the description for this episode. Sasha, thank you so much for being on Made to Be. We really appreciate your time and best of luck on Virtual Work Insider. It's really amazing what you're doing and, and keep it up. Thank you so much. Made to Be is a production of Philly Made Creative. We hope you enjoyed listening. If you like this episode, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, Google, or Anchor, and stay tuned for future episodes.